Good morning, Mercy Road. It is good to be with you. If you're joining us online, we want to say thank you and bless you. If you're joining us in person, we are delighted to have you with us. Um, I am a sock wearer, but I am without socks. And, I'm, and the reason is I, we, were, we are and we were doing baptisms in the first service. We're going to do it again this service. And right in the last second, someone said, I want to be baptized. And lo and behold, we made a promise that not only Mike would get in the tank, but I would get in the tank. And I forgot to take my socks off. So we hope we have the same problem with this service. And we are so excited to join you. Mike will probably say it again, but it's worth repeating that this is one of those special days for a pastor. We delight in this when we share in baptism together. And so we'll talk about that. We're, we're doing that towards the back end of the service. But it's my privilege to pray us in with you right now before we enter into worship. Will you please join me? Lord God, it truly is a privilege to lift our voices to you, to remind ourselves to delight, to reconnect, to breathe, and enter in. And, and so, Lord, would you help us quiet our hearts, quiet our minds, so that we can come before you and, and just worship, give thanks and praise, and, and remember who you are and who you will always be. So, Lord, meet us in this place. Walk with us today. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. If you're able, will you rise and we'll worship the Lord together. Father, we fix our eyes on you. We invite your holiness here. We invite your glory. Give us a greater sense of your presence. Let us rest in your holiness this morning.
church. You sound beautiful this morning.
church, worship until you worship. We pray until we pray this morning. We can dismiss kids to kids' church. Let's hear from the word of God this morning. Psalm 86 is a prayer of David. And that'll be our prayer this morning. Bend down, O Lord, and hear my prayer. Answer me, for I need your help. Protect me, for I'm devoted to you. Save me, for I serve you and trust you. You are my God. Be merciful to me, O Lord, for I'm calling on you constantly. Give me happiness, O Lord, for I give myself to you. Lord, let us find happiness in giving ourselves wholly over to you this morning. O Lord, you are so good, so ready to forgive, so full of unfailing love for all who ask for your help. Listen closely to my prayer, O Lord. Hear my urgent cry. I will call to you whenever I am in trouble, and you will answer me. Pray with me. Father, your church, your people, your bride, we stand before you, pouring out your praises, asking for more of your presence this morning. Holy Spirit, renew our hearts and minds to be more like that of Christ Jesus, the answer to your promise to us. All, all your promises were completed in him. We know that we are unfaithful and yet you are faithful. We know that you are here, moving in our midst, awake in our hearts to you and to your presence and give us a greater, a greater awareness and a greater understanding of your glory.
baptism as they rejoice in heaven let your whole kingdom rejoice Lord we love you and we ask that you are glorified renew our hearts and minds through this service Lord we pray this in the name of your son Jesus and all God's church said amen well church before you're seated welcome those around you to worship this morning Baptism Sunday, you guys, so exciting. I'm Carrie, the Kidsman Director, and that makes me think of we're going to bring all the kiddos out here to watch, and they cheer on, and it's just a beautiful experience for them. But that may cause some curiosity and questions. So in partnering with you parents and grandparents, I've printed out some resources. They're on the Kids Ministry desk that could help you with um, 
nice conversations about faith and baptism with your kids. So I welcome you to pick those up on the way out. For announcements, I just wanted to highlight membership workshop is coming up in a couple weeks. And if you are curious about Mercy Road, have questions, want to learn more, both the pastors, Mike and Chad, lead that. We'll feed you supper. We've got child care. We do ask that you register just so we can get a head count. You can do that in the cafe or online on our website under the events page. As always, look at your bulletin. If you're online, you can go on our website, check out the weekly wire for everything that's, that's happening and upcoming. And just to close this time of worship, I just want us to pray over our, our tithes and offerings. Um, mine come out of my bank account electronically, the 1st and the 15th, and sometimes I just forget that this is an act of worship and a way to thank God and praise God. And so um, I just wanted to call attention to that. We have a couple ways of giving. You can give online. We have um, boxes in the back. Here at Mercy Road, we never want you to feel pressured to give or give out of guilt. It's just truly to have that joyous giver um, attitude is what we want for all of you guys. So if you would bow your heads with me, let's just pray over our, our tithes and offerings. Gracious God, we love you. We ask you to accept the gifts we give you um, as our form of worship and love and praise for you, Lord. We ask you to multiply them and just use them to help us um, bring glory to your kingdom, just to get more people to know you. We love you, Lord, and we thank you for loving us so well. And all people, all God's people said, amen. Pastor Mike's going to be coming up next. Thanks. Good morning, Mercy Road. How are we doing? Baptism Sunday. Get psyched about that. We've got towels, even if you didn't plan on getting wet. Maybe the Lord uh, is going to draw you to that. We have, I think, three or four planned baptisms. We did two in the last service. God is good. Uh, we are in a sermon series called There Will Be Giants, and this is on the life of King David. He fought Goliath, but that was not by any means the only giant he fought. You will fight giants. You have fought giants, not literal huge people, but unless you're like an MMA fighter, but you're, you're probably going to fight giants of uh, depression or maybe divorce or, or just chronic illness. Uh, we live in a sin-broken world. And adversity is something that Christians go through just as well as non-Christians, but we have a hope and we have a resource in our God who is sovereign. We're, we're looking at uh, 1 Samuel chapter 24. While well, you get there, if you want to turn on a device or a Bible, otherwise you can watch on the screen. I want to tell a quick story. A friend of mine told me, he said when he was in high school, he was dating a gal who he really, really liked, and she broke up with him, and she said, you know, I just need to get my priorities in order, and this relationship is taking up too much, and I, it's faith for me, and then education, and my family, and, and this is becoming kind of like an idol for me, so we need to break up. He was so hurt by that, that he admitted, actually to a group of pastors, he, he worked very hard as a 17-year-old to look the part, to go to church, to win her back only to break up with her once they got back together because he said it hurt so much to get broken up with. I wanted her to feel the pain that I felt. And that's what we're talking about today, the giant of vengeance. And it's interesting because in today's text, we'll really get to see the line between self-defense, which I believe is a God-honoring biblical thing, and vengeance, settling the score. 
that desire that we've all felt or will feel to hit back hard. Let's jump into uh, the text today. The context is that King Saul is jealous and angry of this rising star, David. The prophet Samuel has said to King Saul, your disobedience has disqualified you from the throne. You are not going to be the king of Israel, the anointed king. But Saul has a problem accepting this. He's not getting off the throne. And instead of doing what God told him to do, he is uh, chasing down the new replacement, the rival, and he's trying to kill him. Let's read together, or I'll read to you. After Saul returned from fighting the Philistines, he was told that David had gone into the wilderness of En Gedi. So Saul chose 3,000 elite troops from all Israel and went to search for David and his men near the rocks of the wild goats. So he's recruiting like the special forces to go after David. At the place where the road passes some sheepfolds, Saul went into a cave to relieve himself. What do you think relieve himself means? In the Hebrew, it's an idiom, and it means to drop your cloak on your feet. Um, so he's going to the bathroom. That's what's happening here. Uh, but as it happened, David and his men were hiding farther back in that very cave. So he's hunting David and his group of men takes a little detour, goes in the cave to go to the bathroom, and David's there. Now is your opportunity, David's men whispered to him. Today the Lord is telling you, I will certainly put your enemy into your power to do with as you wish. So they're quoting scripture and saying, hey, the Bible allows this. Kill him. So David crept forward and cut off a piece of the hem of Saul's robe. That's interesting. Uh, we're just going to pause there and just consider how crazy it is. There's a picture there. Now, I uh, love to kind of share what I'm preaching about with my kids when they'll listen. But last night, they had a, a little guy sleeping over, so a group of young boys at the dinner table. I read the story to them, and they thought it was cool because young boys like to talk about pooping, right? And they were like, what? He's going to the bathroom. And they cut, why did he cut the robe off? I just had their attention. It's a crazy story. And, and if you haven't read the Bible, it, it's not this other than book that doesn't relate to our life. It's real stuff. It's a guy trying to take um, retribution to, to silence a rival. Um, and you got to feel for David. He's hunted. It's unfair. It's not God-honoring. He's been told that he will be the anointed king of Israel, that Saul is going to step away. Saul's son, Jonathan, has already pledged his allegiance to David. And so justifying killing Saul would be a tempting option for him. I mean, empathize with him for a minute. It's like this guy has been chasing me around. Saul has been manipulative. He has uh, married one of his daughters off to David to try to use as a tool against David. He sent David on suicide military missions, hoping that the Philistines would kill him. David plays the harp for Saul when he gets a little headache and and Saul returns the favor by throwing spears at him. So he's physically tried to hurt him. He's tried to ruin his reputation. And, and now it's almost like God is saying, it can all be over. You can take out your vengeance. You can remove him. The first thing to consider from this text, I believe, is this. We all fight the giant of vengeance. David's not unique. You will get it. Get a moment in life, if you haven't already, it's coming, where someone's going to take a shot at you, where somebody does something that really hurts your feelings, hurts you financially, physically, emotionally, maybe sexually, 
spiritually, and it's not fair, and it hurts. And what will rise up within you when that happens? A desire to settle the score, a desire to get even, to make them hurt in a similar and maybe even a greater way that they made you hurt. In the ancient world, vengeance wasn't just the norm, it was the law. There was this ancient code called the Code of Hammurabi, and it's got all these fascinating little codes. It's one of the first developed um, kind of governing code we have, and this is in Mesopotamia, and basically, if there's any contractors in the room, this should make you sweat. There was a, a rule that said, if you build a house for somebody and the roof caves in on them and kills them, we're going to build a house for you and then cave the roof in and kill you. It was just an eye-for-an-eye type of world, and it would have been so normal, so natural for David to take vengeance. And honestly, we do it today too. Now, you might not throw a spear at somebody. You might not try to take them out physically. But think about the three Gs, gossip, ghosting, and games. That's what we do. When we try to take vengeance, we try to destroy people's reputation. We try to bring out their dirty laundry, tell as many people about them and what they did to us as possible. It's a tempting thing because it feels cathartic in the moment. It feels like it's healing something or doing something for you. Or if it's not gossip, it's ghosting. You know what? I'm just going to cut the relationship off with such severity that they'll just be left to deal with the trauma. Maybe you've been ghosted and you know how that feels. It's like they never return my calls. They never come anymore. They never go. They never, you know, they unfriended me on Facebook. That's a, a real way that you will be tempted potentially to take vengeance on someone who hurt you. And if it's not ghosting or gossip, it's games. Saul exemplifies this. He's playing games with David. He's getting in his head. He's being manipulative. He's using other people. He even tells his son, like, let's have a plot to kill your best friend, David. Because these women are singing songs, and I don't like the lyrics. It's something like, Saul kills by the thousand, but David kills enemies by the 10,000. And I don't want to be eclipsed, so we need to take care of David. He's playing games. You know, there is a cycle of vengeance. When you engage in vengeance... If David plunges the sword into Saul, that will continue a cycle of vengeance. Then Jonathan, by cultural obligation, must kill David. And then David's men must kill Jonathan. And where does it end? And what does it serve? Instead of taking vengeance, David does something else. He cuts a piece of cloth off. Let's keep reading. But then David's conscience began bothering him because he had cut Saul's robe. He said to his men, The Lord forbid that I should do this to my Lord, the king. I shouldn't attack the Lord's anointed one, for the Lord himself has chosen him. So David restrained his men and did not let them kill Saul. After Saul had left the cave and gone on his way, David came out and shouted after him, My Lord, the king. And when Saul looked around, David bowed low before him. Then he shouted to Saul, why do you listen to the people who say, I'm trying to harm you? This very day, you can see with your own eyes, it isn't true. For the Lord placed you at my mercy back there in the cave. Some of my men told me to kill you, but I spared you. For I said, I will never harm the king. He is the Lord's anointed one. Look, my father, at what I have in my hand. It is a piece of hem of your robe. I cut it off but I didn't kill you. 
This proves that I am not trying to harm you and that I have not sinned against you, even though you have been hunting for me to kill me. So David engages in self-defense, creative self-defense. He tries to convince Saul that he's not out to get him. That's a good way to defend yourself. He uses words before swords. My dad was an undercover cop growing up, and I think he, you know, law enforcement, you, you tend to be protective and fear for other people who are vulnerable. I'm the firstborn son, and, you know, I, I wasn't like a huge kid or anything like that, so he taught me how to box, and he brought in a martial artist guy, and we had a big heavy bag in my basement, and, and he said three rules. No, four rules. I'm remembering this now. First rule is do whatever you can do to get out of a fight. Nobody wins in a fight, ultimately. It's not what I want for you. But then if you do get in a fight and you have to defend yourself, hit fast, hit hard, hit often. <laughs> and so I'm thinking, it was kind of a weird way to grow up. I'm walking around, oh, I hope this guy doesn't bully me. I've been trained to, like, hit him repeatedly in the trachea. And, you know, <laughs> I was kind of a lover, not a fighter, so... But it's like David has that heart. And don't mistake David for a pacifist. He, as a teenager, like when you were 17, did you fight a guy who was like 10 feet tall and then cut his head off and bring his severed head to King Saul? No, you didn't. And I didn't either. This guy is a warrior. He's a military strategist. He's the equivalent of an ancient special forces guy. But he doesn't kill someone who's trying to kill him. Why? Why is he going to such lengths to engage in creative self defense, cutting off robes. Why does he even feel bad about even doing that? If you're taking notes, the second point I think the text supports is this. Vengeance and retaliation divide the community God has established. It's almost as if David knows that there are some unwritten rules in the community of God, that God is trying to forge a family of faithful people that are, are over time going to look and think and act like, like him. And that's, we call that the church. And he's, he's saying, you know, we can't afford to take vengeance on each other in this community. You know, I might be called to kill some Philistines because they're threatening our community and they're, they're dishonoring the one true living God that never had a beginning, never has an end. And so I'll go to war for that, and I'll defend that. But when it comes to my fellow anointed followers of God, I'm not going to default to what the world defaults to. I'm not going to gossip. I will not ghost them. I'm not going to play any games. I'll do whatever I can do that has the least amount of force because they're made in the image of God. They're my brother and my sister. You know, in the New Testament, we're told that we're all anointed. Anointed means set apart for a specific purpose, to glorify God. Jesus Christ, Christ is not his last name. It's a title that means the anointed one, the anointed one, the ultimate anointed one. Set apart to kill the giant of sin and death. And he did. And he made us followers who are anointed. Think about the ramifications for that. What if the church, all the church, Big C Church, was known as a, as a place where nobody gossiped, nobody engaged in vengeance. We didn't play games. We didn't ghost each other. We didn't hurt each other. We didn't try to do tit for tat, this for that. 
we didn't retaliate. If you, if you look up the Latin uh, lexic lexical definition of retaliate, it means literally to return in kind, to return in kind. We are people. When we go under the waters of baptism, we come out and we publicly say, I'm in, I'm going public with Jesus. We're saying we belong to a group of people who will not retaliate in kind to one another. We will show each other grace and mercy. Now, is there a nuance to this? Of course. If you're in an abusive relationship, no, you don't stay and just empower abuse. You, you have boundaries. You, there will be times where you'll have to engage in self-defense. If, if you have a toxic leader, you don't let the leader ultimately be toxic forever. But, but why did David, why did he not remove Saul? I just keep coming back to that. Saul's such a rough guy. He's clearly out of order. Samuel, the prophet who was raised up to anoint Saul, told Saul like 10 minutes into his kingship, you're disqualified, you're done. You have disobeyed God way too big and way too often, and that's not the type of king God wants. And Saul is clinging white-knuckled to his throne and hurting people in the process, and David is the replacement, and David could have just solved it. But he said, I know what vengeance does. It divides. If he would have killed Saul, it would have started a civil war. It would have gotten the people of God in the infancy of its little project off track. It would have shown the rest of the world that we're no different. We just take vengeance. If you, if you are honest and you did an evaluation of like action movies in our culture, I bet you 90% of them are just vengeance-driven, you know? It's just so predictable. It's like the bad mafia people kill the guy's dog, and then the rest of the movie is Keanu Reeves shooting like a 1,000 people. But then, like, at the end, they're not even happy. It's just a grumpy Keanu Reeves who's got a lot of blood on his hand. He still doesn't have a dog. It's not okay. I mean, why do we want to live like that? You know deep down vengeance doesn't even scratch the itch you're trying to scratch. It doesn't. Some of you know that the hard way. Let's go back to the text, pick up the story. May the Lord judge between us, David says to Saul. Perhaps the Lord will punish you for what you are trying to do to me. He's no pushover. But I will never harm you, Saul, as that old proverb says, from evil people come evil deeds, so you can be sure I will never harm you. Who is the king of Israel trying to catch anyway? Should he spend his time chasing one who is as worthless as a dead dog or a single flea? May the Lord therefore judge which of us is right and punish the guilty one. He is my advocate and he will rescue me from your power. He's saying, Saul, wake up. You got a job to do. You have to defend us against the Philistines. You have to represent God to us. You have to make sure we're living in a holy way. You're spending your whole day chasing me around and who am I? And there's a theme here. David is constantly saying stuff like, I come from the, the littlest tribe of Israel, Benjamin's, the Benjamite tribe. Like, we, we don't matter, and I come from the least important clan of that tribe and a very unimportant family from that tribe, and oh, I'm the youngest and most unimportant brother in that family. Why would God choose me? And why are you threatened by someone like me? He gives it to him straight. He rebukes him. He is no pushover. 
and he holds that cloth up and he says, I could have killed you. And let's be honest, you would have killed me. Next slide. Know your role and let God sort it out. If David drove a pickup truck, he'd have that on the bumper sticker. That's kind of what would be the answer to the why question. Why don't you kill Saul, David? He'd say something like, I know my role, and I trust in the goodness, the control, the sovereignty of God, and and the justice of God. He's going to sort it out. He will fight for me. One way or another, he'll sort it out. What do I mean by know your role? Well, it's like David knew that, you know, God puts certain people in certain positions for certain seasons, for certain purposes. For example, he raised up this really godly guy named Samuel to be a prophet and an interceder between God's people and, and Yahweh God. And he knows that David is not Samuel. Samuel is Samuel. And Samuel's job is to deal with Saul and say, you need to step down. Now, Saul's wickedness, his rebellion is so stubborn that Samuel's not having a whole lot of success with that. He's tried his best, but Saul's not going anywhere. And so then the temptation is, well, you know, that isn't really my role. I'm not the one who pulls kings off thrones. But since he's not succeeding, I'll just let it be my role. Have you ever stepped out of your lane into somebody else's lane and kind of lived to feel the, the regret of that? David knows that he's not Samuel and he's not God. He is a soldier. He is a worshiper. And he is someone who needs to submit to the plan, to cooperate and graduate, even when he doesn't understand the plan. And yet, he's not going to let Saul kill him. He's still going to defend himself. He's still trying his best to be creative and saying, what do I need to do to prove to you I'm for you? I'm not against you. Now, Saul, if we were to keep reading, actually has quite a response. I mean, he's floored. Saul's like, wow, you're a better man than me? He basically says, I'm summarizing, David, you're a better man than me. You will sit on the throne. I see it now. And I'm just stunned at your mercy. Oh, but also, by the way, I'm, I'm going to go back and sit on the throne and just spend a few more years in rebellion. But he disarms him. He creatively disarms Saul. And he trusts God. Are you in a situation where you are tempted to take vengeance? Consider that God has ordained a community of faith and we must respect that community of faith, not tear it down. We must respect people who are made in his image and not tear it down. We must not go immediately to the three rules of hit hard, hit fast, hit often, ghost, play games, and gossip. We must instead be committed to a radical ethic of non-retaliation. And that is the final and fourth point. Matthew 5, 38 through 40, Jesus writes words that confound the generations that would come and hear these eye for an eye. You've heard it said, eye for an eye and tooth for tooth. But I tell you, do not resist an evil person. If anyone slaps you on the right cheek, turn to them the other cheek also. If anyone wants to sue you and take your shirt, hand over your coat as well. If anyone forces you to go one mile, go with them two miles. Give to the one who asks you and do not turn away from the one who wants to borrow from you. 
Romans were in charge in Jesus' day, they could conscript a, a citizen. Hey, you, carry my pack. It's like 70 pounds. And they could make them march with that, even if it wasn't on their way to work or convenient for them, or they had a back issue, they could just force them to carry their stuff for up to a mile. And Jesus says, you know how much that makes you mad and that causes you to want to take revenge? Instead of trying to kill the, the centurion who, who makes you do that, what would it look like if you actually carried it two miles? Wouldn't that kind of shock the Roman? And if someone is playing games and tries to like steal your clothes uh, and sues you for, for clothing because most people only have one or two sets of clothes, what would it look like to say, you don't need to sue me, you really need it that bad, take it. And say, oh, here's an overcoat. It's like a year's wages. And what would it look like if you just never turned people away when they wanted to borrow your stuff? Well, they won't take good care of it. Yeah, they probably won't. But what would it do to their heart? And in a few centuries, Rome is Christian without ever raising a sword against the most powerful military empire of the ancient world. I watched a documentary called The Avengers, nothing to do with Thor and Loki and all that. Um, It was actually a group of 50 to 60 Holocaust survivors, mostly from Auschwitz, I believe. And they were young and in their 20s, and it was in 1945, they formed a little group. They called themselves the Avengers. And their plan was to kill 6 million Germans because the German... Nazi regime killed six million Jews, six or nine, I can't remember, but eye for an eye. And they were, they were looking at their Hebrew scriptures and they say, it's eye for an eye, tooth for tooth. And so they, they were on the hunt for a chemical that didn't yet exist, a poison that was not detectable, and they were going to infiltrate the whole water system of several major German city, cities. Women, children, men, they're all gone. They, you take six million of our people, we're going to take six million of yours. Now, what was interesting, the documentary uh, interviewed all these people. They weren't successful. They couldn't find the chemical. They got really close, though, and they almost pulled it off. And they interviewed people who were part of that. And most of the ones who were disappointed that it didn't work looked terrible. They looked very different physically than the, the people who tried to pull that off who said, I'm so glad it didn't work. You see, some of the Avengers spent their entire lives ruminating on what the Germans have taken from our people, how horrific the Holocaust is and how I could never forgive them and the only way I'd ever feel good is if I could kill six million of them. And I can't believe it didn't work. And it did something to their bodies. Bitterness is like drinking poison and expecting the other person to die. But those who, who really came to peace, some of them were Messianic Jews, people who've understood the gospel. They said, I'm so glad it didn't work. Of course, they took my mom and my dad and my sister from you and everything from me, but I could not have lived with myself. Friends, life is coming. At some point, someone's going to take a shot at you. It's going to happen. You're going to be victimized at some point. It's going to be unfair. It's going to hurt. And you're going to have a choice. You can creep up and tear a little cloak while someone's relieving themselves. This is kind of stretching the metaphor. But, and, and creatively defend yourself and prove to them, I'm for you, I'm not against you. Or you can just let them have it. What if Jesus is saying 
you know the ethic that we have in the church that David kind of lived out so beautifully that we don't take vengeance on each other? I want you to expand that and think even bigger. I want you to treat Rome like that. I want you to treat your neighbor who's not a believer and isn't fair and is really annoying. I want you to treat him or her like that. I want, to, I want you to treat your ex-spouse like that. The boss who fired you. Your abuser. Baptism is a sign of non-retaliation power, heavenly power. It's a commitment It's saying, I understand that I am saved by the grace of God. I understand that I am a sinner, and on my own, I would have just stabbed Saul in the back. Uh, I just want other people to hurt if they hurt me. But I have surrendered my life to a new way of living, a grace-filled way of living. Baptism, literally, the New Testament writers would, would be described as going under the water and so identifying with the death and the grave where Jesus voluntarily died and then coming out of the waters, that's a symbol of resurrection. It's an outward sign of an inward reality. Baptism does not save you. That is Burnsville tap water. It's not magical. What does it do? It says, I'm going public with Jesus. In an age where it's not super popular to go public with Jesus, it's saying, I'm not perfect, That's why I need a savior. But I will submit myself to be changed, developed, grown, transformed by the perfect love of a perfect savior. Baptism is not something you need to do over and over again. It's not spiritual hygiene. But at this church, we do honor the diverse traditions of infant baptism, baby dedication, and adult or believer baptism. You're old enough to consent. And... We also honor uh, a renewal of baptismal vows. If you were baptized as a child and you just feel that it's on your conscience to be baptized as an adult to define the relationship publicly, you can be baptized. You don't need to. The Bible says you should be baptized and it only needs to happen once. But that's something I chose to do. I was baptized as a preemie in a hospital. And when I was 18, it really occurred to me, I want to do this. I'm kind of scared to do it, but I want to do it. And I was baptized in prior lake. This tank is just a testament to the power of God where over 300 people have been baptized in this tank. That's, that's amazing. And it's been used at m- multiple churches. And we, we have some people that want to be baptized. Now, a little uh, etiquette. Pastor Chad's going to come up and get in the water here. Well, he does. I just want to uh, just, just note that we cheer quite a bit for a team that does not win quite a bit. The Minnesota Vikings, a lot of money, a lot of enthusiasm at that. You know, I like the Vikings too, but here's what I'm getting at. We should probably cheer as loud or louder for the resurrection power activated by personal decisions in people going under the water, identifying with the death of Christ and coming up saying, I'm going to rise again with him. We should cheer louder for that, right? So, so what we're going to do is we're going to cheer loud. If you're not a believer and you're just here because this is kind of a spectacle and interesting, we're super glad you're here. Um, and you're welcome to cheer too. Um, but you don't have to. We're going to bring the kids in and they're going to cheer. Um, simply the baptism protocol is uh, Chad and I will ask you one question. 
something to the effect of, do you believe Jesus Christ is your Lord and Savior? Do you love him with all your heart? Are you willing to live for him, die with him and rise with him? Something like that. And you'll say, yes. And if you want to say something else, you can, uh, but you don't have to. And then we'll say, we baptize you in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. You'll cross your arms like this, plug your nose like that, because who wants water up their nose? And then we'll lean you back all the way under. If you're really sinful and we suspect that, we'll hold you down there for like 40 seconds. <laughs> just kidding, just kidding. And uh, then you'll, you'll come up and, and we'll cheer for you. We do have extra towels if you want to get wet and you were planning on that. It's good weather for that. So, Chad, would you um, not drop the mic in the water? And would you just um, lead us in this baptism? Yes. So it's my privilege to ask Lisa to come up first. I've gotten to know Lisa a little bit. We do a Wednesday night uh, Bible study, and Lisa's been a part of that. And she said, yes, I want to participate. I want to enter into baptism. And so I said, you're going to go first. So Lisa, come on in and join me. Mike, are you climbing in? I like that. So I'm going to have you just move up a little. Perfect. Yep. And Lisa, I get to ask you this question. Do you trust in your heart of hearts that Jesus Christ died for you, that he rose again, and that he is your Lord and Savior? If that is true for you, would you simply answer yes? Yes. Then it's our privilege to baptize you. Christopher Todd, come on up. This one's special for me. Um, we have lots of history. His parents are part of the journey that brought me to saving faith. Our kids grew up together. And I am so honored to ask you to come in and enter the waters of baptism, Chris. You're a tall one. We're going to push you up that far, yes. So, Chris, I want to ask you this question. Do you believe in your heart of hearts that Jesus died for you, that he overcame death and rose again, and that he is your Lord and Savior, and a day will come when you will go to be with him forever? I do, yes. Then it is our honor to baptize you, Chris. The story is bigger than that.
to ask my son Joshua to come up. Josh and Chris were buddies. Our families hung out. And uh, I said, Chris is getting baptized. Do you want to come? He said, yeah. So we get to baptize my son G to do his faith in Jesus. And you can tell I'm emotional. <laughs> but this is a special one. So Josh, do you trust and believe in your heart and heart that Jesus Christ is your Lord and Savior? I do. Woo! Then it is our honor to baptize you today. It's a Joshua special day for Joshua, so I think we got another Joshua maybe. All right, let's do this. So Josh, it's been fun getting to know you, and this is a real privilege. I'm just going to ask you this one question, and then if there's anything else you want to share, you're welcome to. Do you trust, do you believe, do you know in your heart of hearts that Jesus Christ is your Lord and your Savior? I do. Do you have anything else you want to share? By mercy, saved by grace. Amen. going to sing a little and we're going to just and if there's someone else who has it on their heart that today's the day maybe you weren't planning but you just feel led um, you just come on up Jessica has something you can sign just so we can honor that and and we're so excited but we're going to just sing and uh, if that moment comes Mike wants to say something too extroverts we never stop talking um, I, I just wanted to also
I think it's so beautiful that you guys not only are believers, but you're, you're welcoming anybody who would want to come up. So, oh, we got somebody. Just as Daniel's getting signed in, as I look to my left, this is a special day for me for more reasons. Julie, Rob, Katie were part of Cross of Christ, and I got to baptize them. So this is super cool. Daniel, it is a privilege that I get to be part of this with you. We thank you for saying yes and being obedient to the call of the Lord. And so, Daniel, I'm just going to ask you this important question. Do you trust and believe in your heart that Jesus Christ is your Lord and your Savior? Yes, sir. That was a big yes, sir. It is therefore our privilege to baptize you, Daniel. I'm just asking you that you trust and believe in Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. And if that is true for you, you simply can answer yes. Is that true for you, Maddie? Yes. It is therefore my privilege to baptize you today. So, Destiny, I just ask you this question. You believe, you trust, you know in your heart of hearts that Jesus Christ is your Lord and Savior. If that is true for you, you can simply answer yes. Yes, sir. Is there anything else you want to say, Destiny? No, no problem.
God is good, amen. Let's sing.
church for being a part of this special day. Thank you to those who stepped out in faith and were baptized. And now would you receive this benediction? It simply means good word. May our gracious God and King bless you and keep you. May his face shine upon your face. May he give you the courage to step out in faith this week, to know the difference between vengeance and self-defense, to honor each other, and to be a light to the world. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. See you next Sunday.